Tanse Bojo, this is At the Edge of Canada with TJ Phillips, bringing you interviews and check-ins with the top players in the Indigenous intellectual community in southern Manitoba and across the country. This week, close to home at the University of Manitoba, I sit down and chat with the leadership of the SPAC, SPOC, Student Pipeline Action Committee, a group of Indigenous law students here at Robson Hall who have been organizing fundraising campaigns, panelist conversations, guest speakers, and a number of other digital media projects around pipeline resistance. I talked to the president, Danielle Morrison, and the VP Media and Marketing, Alyssa Bird. Back on November 2nd, SPOC hosted Beyond Borders Pipeline Resistance from Standing Rock to Manitowapau. They had Professor M.A. Kraft, Clayton Thomas Mueller, Sadie Phoenix Lavoie, Dallas Goldtooth, a who's who of frontline action people, activists. It was a fantastic conversation. The room was full of people. They even provided food. We had an elder opening. It was a fantastic opportunity to talk pipeline and pipeline resistance and the whole culture around actions. Line three is going to be coming through Southern Manitoba sometime in the spring, drawing off the energy of Standing Rock. People are organizing in this province on both sides of the medicine line to try to stop or at least have their voice heard about pipeline resistance. And these Indigenous law students here are the loudest voice in Southern Manitoba. This is Danielle Morrison and Alyssa Bird on At the Edge of Canada. group of first-year law students in 2017 so we were all taking constitutional law um, with a Maycraft and we were given a legal problem in one of our uh, exams where the um, Eastern Pipeline was coming through Manitoba and we had to discuss um, the I guess political and legal ramifications of people that were going to be affected by those pipelines. Mm-hmm. What would happen if, say, blockades and protests were going to go up? You know, would the province have <clears throat> the right to step in? Um, what are the aboriginal rights that are at play? And sort of things like that. So, this was also at the time of the conflicts in Standing Rock. It was sort of like at the peak of um, its uh, presence, like in the media, and it was very much um, in conversations like at our school and so we'd sort of gotten together after exams and said you know what can we do to contribute or help out and uh, we just kind of informally had a meeting and we had about 30 students attend that's um, awesome which was really cool yeah Um, and we just sort of discussed you know is a supply run the most ideal thing or you know at this point in the game are they more looking for financial support and so um, we had some contacts that were actually down at the camps and they had said you know what the the funds are going to really come into um, 
they're going to they're going to come in handy because people are now facing um, criminal charges, mm -hmm. and so they would need assistance mm -hmm. with uh, some of their legal fees. And so we decided to have our first fundraiser, um, <clears throat> for which I commissioned a T-shirt design, and from that, I guess that point on, we just continued to have meetings and try to figure out, you know. Of course, these things are going to be ongoing in the south, but what kind of things can we be doing mm -hmm. here uh, locally within our own territory? Mm -hmm. And so now you have another fundraiser running. We have another fundraiser running, and that's in support of the Manitoba Energy Justice Coalition. They've been traveling along the Line 3 pipeline, mm -hmm. which is being built at five kilometers a day. Um, and so they're meeting with uh, various community members to find out what are um, their needs and what are their concerns. Um, with this pipeline being built and so it's to help uh, some of their outreach but also to assist with education and actual frontline resistance and so <clears throat> we sort of anticipate that this might turn into another conflict mm. um, and so we want to ensure that people's uh, rights are being protected and so um, any additional funds that are being used outside of outreach will go towards a legal defense fund. Speaking of line three, mm -hmm. you held a round table and this was this was what I was originally going to tape. I was trying to tape that round table that you hosted uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, tell us about that incredible lineup. Mm -hmm. You had M.A. Kraft, who, who was one of the uh, catalysts of this group from a faculty position, mm -hmm. Sadie Phoenix Lavoy, Dallas Goldtooth via Skype, and mm -hmm. Clayton Thomas Mueller. Uh, tell me how that went and, uh, and your thoughts on the whole round table generally. Yeah, no, the panel went really great. Um, we had a full house. We rented out half of the moot courtroom, um, which is about 50 seats, and there was very few seats left. It was packed. Um, we invited not only law students to attend, but community members. So we mm -hmm. advertised like within the university, but then also like in the urban area of Winnipeg. So at UW, we had people coming from there. We advertised at Red River College, at Neganon Center, which is on Maine and Higgins. Um, we really just tried to broaden our audience. Um, the speakers themselves, I may spoke to um, Indigenous legal traditions and uh, water law, which I think was a very interesting perspective, an important perspective to bring to the table because it's, I, I don't want to say it's new because these are obviously um, like long-standing traditions that are like centuries old, mm -hmm. uh, but it's new to say our law school for example these are things these are new avenues of um, I guess legal uh, legal avenues that um, communities can take to protect their own rights when it comes to water uh, we have a responsibility to that water and um, it's not necessarily recognized within say the Supreme Court of Canada um, and so I'm based on a lot of writing and a lot of research in the last few years around water law, uh, Anishinaabe Nakanagawin, and she, um, I think, brought a very important perspective. Sadie has been doing a lot of frontline resistance. Um, she's uh, very outspoken and she really uses uh, the spotlight that she's been given to bring more awareness to the issue around pipelines. And. Um, Dallas, of course, was very involved with Standing Rock, so we wanted to hear some of the advice that he could give to people that are um, wanting to help out, uh, say, by participating in frontline resistance, but also by, you know, taking the avenue of, say, 
political and legal action. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course Clayton, he's been very active um, across the country. So he played a video um, on the Keystone uh, battle and uh, he just sort of spoke to some of the, I guess, resistance that is not only related to pipelines, but also tar sands and resource extraction as a whole. Um, you know, there's just so much going on yeah. across North America right now, across Turtle Island, and trying to stop resource extraction projects. Is that part of the urgency of forming the Student Action Committee too? Is that part of the energy? Yeah, a, a lot of students were saying, I don't really want to just sit around and talk about this in classrooms mm -hmm. anymore. I want to do something. Right. I want to participate. And one of the problems that we have as law students is that from day one, we're told your reputation is everything. Mm -hmm. And so we're faced with the dilemma of whether we can participate on the front lines or whether we should be continuing that battle like in the courtrooms, for example, or by doing research, you know, doing academia. Mm -hmm. um, and so we try to provide um, options that will address all of those actions, I guess. You know, Dallas, I thought, made a really good point, which is that it, it, we can all participate in this tripod, which is that we can do um, frontline resistance, which is direct action. Mm -hmm. We can do political and legal action, or we can also take spiritual action, which is, and all three of them are very important. And so um, I think that really speaks to the attitude that we have going into the work that we do as a committee, which is that we just try to provide resource um, mm. resources to students so that they can sort of make their own choices about how they want to participate or how they want to contribute mm -hmm. to these movements. Yeah, and it seems as though that the other panelists were also talking about the ways in which there are echoes between jurisdictions. So like Clayton was calling out political leaders, Métis mm -hmm. Mayor, yep. um, you know, Ojibwe, official leader of the opposition, mm -hmm. and then a Cree, you know, Assembly of First Nations Chief, mm -hmm. or not Assembly of First Nations, Manitoba Assembly of First Nations Chief. Right. Um, so basically saying like we need to be working together in all jurisdictions mm -hmm. to take um, almost holistic action against mm -hmm. resource extraction. Yeah, and that's really interesting because in our classes, um, like I'm in this class with Karen Busby, she's a professor at Robson Hall. Um, she's leading a seminar on, we just call it water rights, but it's basically sanitation of water in First Nation communities. Mm -hmm. And we spent the first half of the class speaking to, I guess, uh, like the research, the methodologies, what are the issues in a lot of these communities. Um, and then what are our advocacy strategies? Mm. And so we had Byron Williams that came in uh, from the um, Public Interest Law Center, and they do a lot of social advocacy work. And at the time, it didn't occur to me that there was so much that could be said for political action and how we can call on our leaders and say, you know, you should be speaking to this during question period and right. how important that is because you're reaching a different audience. Mm -hmm. Like, I think for me, I've spent a lot of time in an echo chamber, and, like within my own indigenous community, because I'm always surrounded by like-minded people, mm -hmm. right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we got to do something. And we're just egging each other on. And we're missing out on reaching um, the people that, I guess, can make change in other ways. Right. You know, I, we are change makers ourselves, but we're, we're sort of um, missing the mark with other audiences. So what's next for the Student Action Pipeline Committee? Yeah, um, well right now we're in the middle of finals, uh, which was a great time to start running a campaign. 100%. <laughs> um, 
but actually it is great timing because you know Christmas is coming up and so all the items that we're selling are going to make really great gifts mm -hmm. um, once exams are done we're going to be starting a new semester in the new year in January and we're going to be spending the next three months January February March uh, bringing in monthly speakers Mm -hmm. So we've got um, some people from Public Interest Law Center that were working mm -hmm. on the Judicial Line 3 review with the Assembly Manitoba Chiefs. Um, they're going to be speaking to their experience with that and just highlighting some of the key issues there. Um, and we've got a couple other people lined up. If we have enough time, because we are so busy with law school, um, <laughs> <laughs> we might be able to run another campaign. Um, but I think, you know, one of the challenges with the campaign was that, you know, there, there isn't a lot of people that are taking up frontline resistance. Mm. Um, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, Dallas and Clayton and Sadie, all the panelists, uh, spoke to during the panel, which is that, um, we need people that are going to go to the front lines yeah. and, and, you know, continue this fight. Um, and we want to be able to support that. Right. Um, and so we actually had um, a bit of trouble trying to find mm. someone to donate money to. I mean, the message that is behind the campaign, Water is Life, really speaks to a lot of broader issues. You yeah. know, that it comes to, when it comes to water, you know, like water and sanitation. Um, you know, we considered um, Show Lake 40 and Freedom Road. Yeah. Um, but frankly, I think that it should be up to the province and the city of Winnipeg to pay for those things. Um, I don't know why we would be putting our money to that when they can. And But I mean, in, in the new year, we would like to, I guess, continue researching, uh, you know, where other resistance... Um, where the resistance activities are taking place, um, you know, not necessarily just within Manitoba, but uh, all over the country. So I'll get you out of here on this one. Keystone, a massive rupture of a yeah. pipeline in South Dakota yesterday. Yeah. And the general response I was getting in my echo chamber of social media <laughs> was, Nietzsche's told you so. Like, we told you this, right. this, we, we told you this was going to happen. I saw that article pop up my newsfeed and I just shook my head mm -hmm. and I thought, oh my gosh. Um, the unfortunate thing with that is um, it's like on the high end of the spectrum of like the worst possible thing that can happen. Yeah. And it, my understanding of those kind of ruptures is that it's like almost beyond repair. Mm. The, the environmental impacts that it has, um, the time that it takes to bring, say, you know, um, water life or land life back to where it was uh, in the first place i mean that's like permanent damage mm -hmm. and they and going into it people they sort of they're aware of all the high risks which is that oh yeah there could be a leak but there likely won't be yeah and then it happened yeah. and then people are like oh my god and this isn't just oil it's the chemicals that go into making it move through the pipes. Mm -hmm. It's sticky. It takes months to clean it up. Mm -hmm. um, I was curious, as an activist, as somebody who has, who's part of this committee, what is like what is the emotional response to seeing that? Is it? I mean, it must strengthen your resolve a little bit, but does it also like, make you just sad to see it happen? Um, it's upsetting. I think you know because we spend so much time in law school. Um, looking at situations that are just dire, 
you know, it's devastating. I spend every single Thursday in class, um, not in class, after class, crying. I usually wait till after class, but um, every, <laughs> every Thursday is a cry session because when you're looking at um, the way that um, people's rights are being violated and how it affects their lives, it's just devastating. Mm. And so you can't help but really take it personal. I mean, I think it's different for a lot of Indigenous students that are in law school because a lot of the time, these issues um, are hitting very close to home. Um, when it comes to pipelines, they disproportionately affect Indigenous communities. And so, of course, like we're obviously concerned, but we're a very small number of students. We're mm -hmm. like, you know, five, six students maybe more, uh, in one, one year of law school. And out of 300 students, we're just a fraction. Uh, so it's very isolating, um, but you know, we do what we can to take care of ourselves and just kind of continue the battle. Um, being in law school is a battle in and of itself, and so we just try to like galvanize ourselves and move forward and just continue to educate ourselves so that by the time we're done law school, we can just get out there and start right. fighting the good fight. Right. That's what we wanted to do when we got into this. Yeah. Right on. Cool. Uh, obviously, you have the respect and the support of all of us who watch you take this action and do the work that you do while also going to law school. And Thank you're you. wicked smart and wicked capable, and it's going to be awesome to watch you get out there and kick ass when you need to. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Basically, with my role in that is like trying to get um, more active on social media, find creative ways to kind of, especially within the U of M here, we've been trying to find ways to get our messages like up on the TVs that are all around the campus and mm -hmm. um, getting connected with different um, different people, like people who run the Manitoban and just things like that. I don't know more. Obviously, set the bar for mobilizing communities, action communities digitally. Mm -hmm. How important is the social media strategy? Is it something you all talk about in the group, mobilizing communities, trying to get people to, to join the committee? Uh, well, social media is definitely important. Um, I've been actually taking a lot of direction from Danielle because she mm -hmm. has um, experience with this stuff in the past. So she's been great on helping me kind of make those initial connections. And we've discussed a lot of times our strategies about when, like even the right time post something right, and yeah. um, a lot of what social media has to do too is and we've been trying to incorporate this as we put information out there is getting connected with different uh, social media who already have their own set of followers mm, so they've yeah. been sharing our posts about things and it's been great to see how far our reaches have gone <laughs> yeah and the fundraiser is going to run till November 24th yes uh, so how can people get um, get their hands on some goods I know there's shirts and tote bags and everything um, the place that we've been directing people to get most of the information from is our Facebook group, which is Student Pipeline Action Committee on, at Facebook. And they there we have our um, like a FAQ about information about shipping, um, information on where our money is going to for this campaign, and it directs you to our online store as well, where you can make place your order online and again get more information. Mm -hmm. 
So shifting away now uh, and go buy stuff. Go buy stuff. Christmas oh, yeah. is coming. It's, it's got water's life all over it. It's, it's the Christy Belcourt design, right? No, actually oh. a Danielle Morrison design. Danielle, Danielle design? <laughs> no, she is very, very amazingly talented. Yeah. So um, it was her design that was kind of uh, based off of Norval Morrison. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. So she incorporated, like, was inspired by that and created the design logo from Whoa. that. Yeah. That's cool. Um, but yeah, check it out. Get something. Anybody's listening, go to the Facebook page and buy a gift for the holidays and put it to, to good use. Uh, uh, Danielle was walking us through a little bit about how these funds are going to help with frontline action, with yeah. legal fund. Um, how do you see the money or how do you see these funds being mobilized in the best way? Like, what is the perfect outcome for you? Where do you want to see this go? <sighs> okay. Well, part of the reason why we got so involved in this campaign was that we saw this struggle especially with the Dakota Access Pipeline and what was going on in Standing Rock. And as a student group, especially as legal people who are entering the legal field, we have to try and be creative in the ways that we can help people. Mm. And doing fundraisers such as this was a way that we felt would be the best way to kind of help those people who are on the front lines because necessarily, Unfortunately, as is when you're in the legal field, there are different restrictions that you kind of have to place upon yourself. And doing things like the Student Pipeline Action Committee, raising these funds, have been a way where we can help those people who are directly frontliners and that we kind of be behind the scenes. So um, we hope that this money can help the Manitoba Energy Justice Coalition in their efforts to help the people who are looking to be the frontliners and to help with like food and supplies if they're interested in doing a blockade or just helping get more education out there to people who are not as aware of what's going on with Line 3. That's really awesome. Um, yeah, and, and it's an incredibly vital action as they do the replacement line on Line 3. Uh, tell me a little bit more about some of the work that you were doing this summer with the Yerk School, right? Yeah, uh, so during this past summer, I was on a partnership agreement between Yurch Law and uh, KH2O. Mm -hmm. And KH2O is a program run out of the University of Manitoba that is working towards First Nation uh, water security and sanitation. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of my research throughout this summer was looking at the Safe Drinking Water for First Nations Act. Mm -hmm. And so it was really diving into what has what were the steps going into the creation of the act and what has been wrong with it because there has been a lot of um, disagreement with how that act was created and mm. right now the act is going through an engagement process of where they would like to see that act amended repealed or just leave it as is right mm. now so um, again my research has been looking into ways that act can be approved or what's the next step really and that's a provincial act a federal act. Oh, that's a federal act. Yeah. And that does that carry most of the duty to consult uh, protocol in it? <laughs> Don't even get me started <laughs> on the duty to consult. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> no, I can go on the whole rant about what, where the federal government went wrong with the creation of it mm. because it was kind of really, really, really ridiculous. There was um, all this uh, attention going towards the act, the creation of the act itself because, again, it's important. There's a lot of people in our communities who have no running water, no um, like flushing toilets, or no infrastructure within their own homes. Mm -hmm. And again, water is important just for basic things. Mm -hmm. So when the act was being created, there was a lot of First Nation people going to these uh, engagement sessions saying that 
these engagement sessions were held in like communities like Winnipeg or cities like Winnipeg and uh, major cities like that because it was most easily accessible for I would say the government officials to get there mm. and a lot of the times First Nation people would want those meetings to be held within their own communities so that people who are directly affected by those things have more access to voice their concerns and what they think should be happening mm. and that didn't happen with creation. Mm. So with this new federal government, they have gone through this legislative, legislative review, and that's what the Safe Drinking Water is going through right now. Okay. Yeah. So how does your research then sort of dovetail with the science that Create H2O is doing? So why, why the legal framework? Part of the reasons why that, um, a lot of the research right now that has been done to date has been pointing towards the lack of a regulatory regime, mm. such as like a federal act, like the Safe Drinking Water for Prestations Act. So, along with all the science that is going behind about why the, inf the current infrastructure is not safe or not up to the standards, is usually because there isn't a regular regulatory regime to kind of monitor it and kind of like oversee the projects happening. and. That was one of the things that people have noticed was that there needs to be that kind of that bar set so that it matches so that right. it's appropriately built and mm -hmm. safe for the communities. Mm -hmm. That's so cool that that intersectionality is happening. Yeah, it's um, they both are important, right? Yeah. You need to have that science and um, the people with that knowledge to know what's best, what's going to work best for these communities. Right and to have that bar set that's going to be safe for the people there and right. that's going to be backed by science and like because one of the things that they've seen so far go wrong in communities is that there there is infrastructure there mm -hmm. but it was poorly designed not mm -hmm. for the community and they were seeing cracks and different like weather conditions and because again it's because of the lack of regulatory regime to look over it yeah uh, when I had Anamika on my show and Anamika Farnhorst runs mm -hmm. great H2O yeah. with the insert grant um, I said the same thing when I worked in Métis Settlements in Alberta, same issue. Uh, it's not that the water is the problem, it was the transportation of the water mm -hmm. and no regulatory mechanism in place to prevent yeah. bad trucks, basically. Yeah. Uh, so like that's a, that's a good example. But what I really appreciate about this imbricated form that you have here with the, with the legal side of research and the science side of research happening, happening simultaneously is that it's happening at the same time. Right? Whereas a major problem that happens, especially in water safety and water sanitation, is that um, jurisdictions, political jurisdictions, governments will say, give me the proof, and then we'll change policy. Well, yeah. now this is happening at the same time. Yeah, exactly. We are um, part of the, um, I'm actually in a water rights class right now, and that's mm -hmm. run out of like H2O. Uh, Karen Busby is writing that, um, that course, and she's been great on like converging all of these issues, like mm -hmm. bringing the science behind it, bringing the legal issues behind it, bringing like even the social advocacy awareness behind it about why we need to get political kind of will to see how this is an issue and needs to be addressed mm -hmm. with all of this kind of support both on the legal side both on the science side yeah. that will help back it up yeah that's really cool the the student uh pipeline action committee is doing awesome work keep it up Keep, keep up with the, the campaigns, the fundraisers, the panels. I love it. The room was packed a couple of weeks ago. I think you're going to be able to pack rooms going forward, especially as uh, Line 3 gets closer to Manitoba. Um, I'll get you out of here on this one. Uh, I asked all my guests this, though I didn't ask Danielle. So you, you get it. You get to <laughs> okay, round out okay, the okay. show. But it's, um, who's your Indigenous intellectual crush rate? Oh, uh, okay. 
Um, I have two of them actually. Perfect. I have a super big crush on both M.A. Kraft yeah. and Caleb Ben because okay. they are both doing amazing work in the field of decolonizing water. Mm-hmm. And I've been following their work for the past few years now and the whole reclaiming traditional water governance, mm-hmm. reclaiming our ceremonies that are connected to water is so important for our communities to understand. Mm-hmm. and. I'm, I'm, I know I talk a lot about policy and like how the Safe Drinking Water First Nation Act and having that understood is a good thing, but it's more important for our people to understand our connection to water mm-hmm. and to build from that base connection of just even when you're taking a sip of water for yourself and thinking, thank you, Nidhi. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being here. Thank you for keeping me safe and thank you for keeping me nourished. That base level is where that connection happens. And that's what those guys are working on right now, and it's just really important. <laughs> yeah, you all are remarkable people. I, I've met all of you. Well, most of you, part of your committee. Uh, talking to you and Danielle now today has just been fantastic. Uh, the water fight, the resource extraction fight, activism on the ground—it's in good hands with our indigenous youth, our smart indigenous youth. <laughs> Thank you so much. Who are out there, <laughs> and I—you uh, don't want to be on the uh, the other end of any actions coming your way with these these folks running the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time, and you have a. a Respect and appreciation. Oh, thank you so much. At the Edge of Canada is produced at the UMFM studios on the University of Manitoba campus in Winnipeg, Manitoba. The University of Manitoba is situated on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, the Cree, the OJ Cree, the Dakota, and the Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. You can get all updated podcasts and live streams for At The Edge of Canada at umfm.com, or you can listen to us live on the UMFM app. The lead track is Nahewak Starlight. And if you like what you hear from me, you can follow me on Twitter at tfillers. Up next, your campus today.